Hello and welcome to Talking the Turnstiles, part of the Touring the Turnstiles brand. With Touring the Turnstiles focusing on my own experiences via blogging and vlogging, I thought it would be an interesting concept to introduce representatives of teams I will be going to see. The next match I will be attending is the Europa Conference League tie between Celtic and Norwegian champions Bodo Glimt at Celtic Park on the 17th of February 2022. This episode I am delighted to be joined by three guests. Declan McConville of A Celtic State of Mind, John McGinley of 67 Hail Hail, and Norwegian football expert Steve Wiss, co-host of the Nordic Football Podcast. First up we have Declan McConville, often seen on the YouTube channel A State of Mind, where he is a contributor on the award-winning podcast A Celtic State of Mind, and also hosts his own show, The State of Politics. Declan is also a writer for Celtic fan magazine, The Alternative View. Declan, thanks very much for joining me, how are you? I'm alright, how are you doing? Okay. Yeah, we're good, thanks. So last season was one of the most important seasons in Celtic's history. A team that was chasing the dream of 10 in a row turned into a series of unfortunate events that would see Rangers winning their first league title in 10 years. In your opinion, where did it all go wrong? Um, You know what, I think it's probably too much to talk about in the, the, the space of time that we've got, but players coming to the end of their, their reign at the club, you know, winning so much, I think, for some of the international boys in terms of the guys that just, you know, maybe saw their future elsewhere in the Premier League or whatever, probably came to the end of their cycle. Treble after treble was great for fans, but maybe for some of the guys in the dressing room, it was just, you know, been there, done it. You know, what else uh, can I do in my career? There's that. There was, you know, I don't think Celtic, in terms of the team at the time, coped too well with the, the COVID scenarios, we obviously had the ball and goalie scandal, we were two games behind. Um, like all clubs, we were affected by no fans in the stadium, which I think affected the players as well as decision-making at the club. You know, I think with people inside the stadium, uh, voices would have been heard that people weren't happy. People weren't happy by October time with the, the way it went, you know, to play a, a derby fiction of a shot in target is nothing short of a, a disgrace. And it just seemed to all go downhill from there onwards, even... I think if you look at the, the January transfer window, if you look at what Celtic did this season compared to last year, last season they, they sold a player, key player, Jeremy Frimpong for 11 million odd quid and replaced him alone, signing from Everton and John, John Joe Kenny. So, um, yeah, a, a series of unfortunate events, but the club seems to be in a lot better position now under uh, the stewardship of Ange Postacoglu. Yeah, that's a nice segue on to my next point. So after months of speculation, Eddie Howe opted against taking the Celtic job. A relatively unknown Aussie by the name of Ange Postecoglou was given the job of a major rebuild. Were you optimistic or sceptical about his appointment at the time? I was optimistic in terms of, I remember Ange's Australia team, uh, the World Cup in 2014, you know. I liked Tim Cahill as a player when I was growing up. Um, so I knew he did it in terms of international stage. Um, I, I didn't know a lot about him. I'm not going to pretend I did, but always like to give any Celtic manager a chance when they come in. Um, I remember the treatment of Ronnie Dyla when he initially came in. I liked Ronnie as a Celtic manager. I think in this country at times the media like to stir it a bit. Um, when somebody comes in from the outside, it's a bit, let's make fun of them. You probably saw the clip of Alan Brazil, Posta Who, I think he says, or something. Um, so yeah, I'm glad he's proven a lot of people wrong, even though he didn't need to do that. You know, this was a guy that had won titles in Australia and Japan respectively, and is his national side's greatest coach. So yeah, I was very optimistic when he came in and was looking forward to what the future would hold under. And I can see 
Uh, just now, I'm not being disappointed as of yet. Celtic are now 25 games undefeated domestically, winning the League Cup in the process and are one point ahead of Rangers at the top of the week. Celtic would also finish third in their Europa League group, which contained Leverkusen, Real Betis and Ferenc Varos, ending with nine points. From a supporter's point of view, how would you sum up this season and what has changed from last season's performance? Um, hunger, desire. Uh, I think there's been a change in attitude. You know, I think everyone in that dressing room and it was probably questions last year about whether players were playing for Neil Lennon. Um, I'm sure Neil Lennon thought he had players playing for him, but, but you know, there was guys that was letting them down. Um, there's definitely been an attitude shift that the guys that I think with the wantaways are certainly no longer in the building and there's a there's a real philosophy around Celtic Park just now there's an identity which I think the club and team lacked last season um, and just said it's very clear what he wants to do the way in which he wants to play football the European competitions didn't work out as we'd have liked to you know Celtic fans always want to be in the, the Champions League we've not been there for such a long time now but when you look at it, he came in, um, I think Midgeland probably came too early in terms of what he's, he had in terms of the team. Probably you could say that Alkmaar came too early, but the Celtic negotiated their way through that tie. This was a, a Dutch side that had finished very high up in the division and were in a good place, but Celtic managed to navigate their way through it. And um, I think we kind of bit a learning process through Europe. Celtic's not had great results like that, especially after some of the doings we took last season. This is a, a team that were you know, a core of McGregor and Turnbull that were in the, the batterings, a 4-1 off Sparta Prague and stuff. So, yeah, I think that when you look at it from that perspective, it was a Celtic team that probably needed a bit of mentality building and Angie's did that. Um, and so far, getting that League Cup under the belt has been great because of so many clips today and he was talking about a club like Celtic can't go two seasons without silverware. And, you know, first bit of silverware up for grabs and they went and won the Cup. Um, so, it's very exciting just now, but it's one game at a time. Um, so we'll see what the, the future holds. Obviously, we've got Bodo Glimt on Thursday. Um, we'll see what the Scottish Cup round door comes tonight. And it's the next league game against Indiga. Just one step at a time, I think, underlines just now, which is the way to, the way to take it. Not look too far ahead of yourself. Yeah, touching on Bodo Glimt, that's the next opponent for Celtic in the Conference League. Bodo Glimt are actually back-to-back champions of Norway and progressed to the next stage of the Conference League thanks to an undefeated group performance, which included beating Jose Mourinho's Roma 6-1. Although Bodo Glimt are in a pre-season at the moment, how are you expecting this game to go? Yeah, uh, I remember the, the results against uh, Roma. I think it was a kind of third-choice team uh, that, that Mourinho had put out, but Still, Bodo went and got the results against them and fair play to them. Um, they're a club that I didn't know a lot about until this season. Again, I touched on Ronnie Dyla there. I'm sure it's a, a team he probably knows a, a lot about. This will be a tricky tie. But I think a lot of Celtic fans are looking at that mental hurdle that the club's not won a knockout tie after Christmas. It's 2004, I think it is, since uh, Barcelona. So with that in mind, I think just getting through this tie would be a real milestone. Um, I know it's the conference league and people were probably asking questions or I know there's a lot of Celtic fans that are all on bust as I say with the Champions League and possibly the Europa League but I think this competition gives Celtic a good opportunity to go a wee bit further than Europe than we've been in, you know, since 2004 and beyond because it's a, it's a new competition there's teams in there which I think Celtic should be beaten and um, yeah I think it's a, bit a decent game in Thursday and I think as you touched on there Bodo having been you know, 
out of action for three, four months now. I think that can only help Celtic more. Still, what are key players? Uh, Berg's obviously left. He was a key man for them in midfield, but it's going to be a tasty tie. But I think if Celtic can just get through this, I think mentally it could really uh, give the, the group a, a real boost. As well as that, it's going to give some of the guys, you know, Rio Hitati, Maeda, O'Reilly, uh, the great of the guys that have been added in January that taste of Celtic and, and European football. And lastly, have you got a score prediction for the match on Thursday? Um, I'll go 2 0 Celtic. As I say, I think this will be tight. Um, but I, I do think that, that Bodo just haven't not played for so long. They might tire in, in later stages, which Celtic can hopefully capitalise on. I imagine they'll go back to, I know, seven changes against Ray Rovers. I imagine it could be seven changes again, possibly back to the, kind of, the team that played up in uh, Petosi. And obviously, Kyogo for the hashing, David Turnbull's been included in the squad for these two next games. So it'll be interesting to see whether they are included, uh, possibly the away leg. I think maybe the home leg will be too soon, but interesting to see. But yeah, I think it'll be a tight game, but I think Bodo being out of action for so long could uh, be Celtic's benefit. Yeah, well, I know you're a busy man, Dick, one, so I just want to say thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on, Sean, any time. Next up, I'm delighted to be joined by John McGinley, frequent writer, podcaster and YouTuber in all things Celtic. John is known for his work with 67 Hail Hail and is also a columnist for Australian-based Optus Sport. John, thanks very much for joining me. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. So last season was one of the most important seasons in Celtic's history. A team that was chasing the dream of 10 in a row turned into a series of unfortunate events that would lead to Rangers winning their first league title in 10 years. In your opinion, where did it all go wrong? Well, that's a multi-layered question. I think there's, I think you look at it, I think in general, my feeling is that Celtic got a bit complacent with it in terms of, you know, racking up all these league victories, feeling like they were on a match. Um, and kind of not strengthening from the front foot, basically. Um, obviously, supporters have been talking about the, the hallowed 10 in a row for a number of years. And then the, the, I, I just felt like, personally, that the club didn't really back up. Now, they would argue that they did, and there was um, a lot of outside factors with last season in particular, and I know that former manager Neil Lennon has spoken um, robustly about that, shall we say. For me, I just think that that Celtic took the whole thing for granted and that they didn't go all out after Brendan Rodgers left the club. Neil Lennon came back on an initially interim basis, which I was a fan of at the time, um, to secure the league title at that time. And then after that, I just felt that Celtic let the ball slip a little bit and made a a safe, comfortable appointment rather than pushing themselves and and taking the risk that was perhaps needed for the turn row. Easy to say all in hindsight. Um, You know, coupled with that kind of Structural issues, I just think some of the players have decided that they'd achieved all they could at Celtic and actually probably the players, some of the players anyway, didn't really care about this 10 in a row business. So I think there was a whole multitude of factors. There was a lot of blame to go around. I think the supporters have to you know, take their fair share of stuff too, just in terms of um, putting so much pressure on that season last season. It was always going to happen. But I just also felt that, and I was guilty of it as well, that supporters perhaps just put a bit too much pressure on the whole situation. And so as soon as it started to go wrong, there was kind of no way back, but it just kind of spiralled out of control. So multitude of factors, and I think everyone at Celtic, from the board, from Neil Lennon to the players to the supporters, can take some kind of share of the responsibility along the way. 
So after months of speculation, Eddie Howe opted against taking the Celtic job. A relatively unknown Aussie by the name of Ange Postecoglou was given the job of a major rebuild. Were you optimistic mm. or sceptical about his appointment at the time? On, on day one, I was sceptical just because I think that Eddie Howe business had, had gone on for so long and was so hyped up um, that people, a lot of people, myself included, had kind of warmed themselves to the, the, the kind of thought of Eddie Howe taking over. So when that abruptly collapsed and the club were in a panic and trying to kind of, you know, communicate what was next, Ange Postacoglu's name pops up from nowhere. And naturally, you've got a healthy scepticism because you're protective of Celtic, you're protective of the direction that Celtic are going in. As you say, as I said just there, you know, there were structural problems at the club. And so did you really have trust for them to pick a gem out of, out of you know, the, the Asian game, the Australian game? No, personally, on day one, I didn't. But, and I'm not just saying this with hindsight, genuinely, you know, a few days of research, just doing what I do um, in the position that I'm in, you know, went and found out about this guy and very quickly became apparent that, you know, not only were Australian observers and Japanese observers very high on this guy, but this guy had a very clear direction of the way he wanted to take Celtic. In. And I, I knew that before, you know, you walked in the door in terms of became when it became official because there was a lot, there's a lot of Ange Postacoglu media on the internet before Celtic, and there's even more so now. But there's a there was a lot of kind of online seminars, there was a lot of kind of interest in interviews where he kind of clearly laid out his, his kind of philosophy on how he wants a team to function and how he wants a club to function. And so by the time he was actually announced. I was I was pretty much on board with it, and and even more so over the, over the coming months. You know, at times I've probably been a bit too gung ho on the Postecoglou thing, especially when there were some damaging results at the start of the season. But I've, I kind of have always been on board because I've always bought into what he what he believes he wants Celtic to be, and and thankfully, you know, not just for Celtic but for for my own sake that some of it seems to be coming true at the moment. So Celtic are now twenty five games undefeated domestically winning the League Cup in the process and are one point ahead of Rangers at the top of the league table. Celtic would also finish third in our Europa League group, which contained Bayer Leverkusen, Real Betis and Ferenc Varos, ending with nine points. From a supporter's point of view, how would you sum up this season so far and what has changed from last season's performance? I think what has changed is that overall vision. And I think you know, Postacoglu is coming in and communicated it clearly I think to the board, first of all, I think he's actually convinced a lot of people on the board to kind of back him in a way that perhaps some people assumed might not happen. He's communicated to the players and he's communicated it to the supporters. And I think having that vision and that kind of kind of long-term project that, that Celtic fans could get behind, I think has been so crucial. And it's actually something I argued for last season during that miserable 10 in a row season, um, was that the, the club never communicated where, where Celtic were going. And I think that and just taking that on his shoulders. And so even when there's been poor results and even when there's been tricky bumps in the road, I, I think he's communicated enough at Celtic for, for how, to have people believe in him. And I think that belief's been a key thing. But aside from all that, you know, I think just the football's been a vast improvement. I think you can see it. he's got a very clear tactical way of playing at Celtic. Um, he likes this inf- inverted fullback things, which people were sceptical ske- of at the start. And then we saw against Rangers just, you know, how devastating that could be those rotations in the team and those combinations in the team. So I think, you know, tactically on the pitch, it's, it's been a breath of fresh air and the signings he's made have been incredible. Off the pitch, it's been about communicating a clear vision. I think Celtic fans are crying out for that. 
Because Celtic fans want to believe in their club. They don't want to feel rubbish about the club. They don't want to slag off the club. They don't want to be negative all the time. And so when they can get some, get their teeth into something and really back something, then they're going to do it wholeheartedly. And I think that gives the whole club a boost um, you know, along the way. Having dropped down to the Conference League, Celtic will play Norwegian side Bodo Glimt, who are back-to-back champions of Norway, and progress to the next stage of the Conference League thanks to an undefeated group performance, which included beating Jose Mourinho's Roma 6-1. Although Bodo Glimt are in their pre-season, how are you expecting this game to go? I think it's going to be a toe-to-toe battle in, in, kind of the, in the vein of the matches against Real Betis and, and Bayer Leverkusen that Celtic played in that group stage. Um, Interesting games against the, you know the Spanish and the Germans. I think that um, you know we obviously got heavily beat by Leverkusen at Celtic Park, but even in that match there were moments when when Celtic got at them. Um, and I've I've kind of maintained for a while that 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 game is almost a turning point, getting defeated so heavily, and Ange Postecoglou sticking to his guns after it in terms of you know reinforcing the style and the vision that you know Postecoglou wants in a Celtic team. And so he's going to go. He's going to go for it against Bodo Glimt. There's going to be no holding back. But by all accounts, and I've I've not seen much of Bodo Glimt, but you know, from by all accounts, they they are also a team who like to play expansive football and really try and press the team and really try and go toe to toe with a team. The only kind of thing that you know what gives me hope for this tie more than than most things is that Bodo Glimt have have sold a lot of their players from that Europa League group stage. They've sold a few of their key players. Um, they're kind of in a rebuilding stage. They've not played a competitive match since December. It just feels like Celtic have a real opportunity to catch them cold. Their first competitive game is going to be under the lights at Celtic Park with you know 50,000 plus people in attendance. Um, and that is, I think that is right for this Ange Postecoglou team in particular, who we know go for the jugular to kind of catch them cold and go for it. Um, so I would say I was quietly confident if Celtic can build a you know a, a bit of a lead in that in that first leg, then we can go to Norway with you know something to play for, and, and who knows what happens. But I do think Celtic have a good chance of going through. But likewise, that as you say, that they've picked up some impressive results in Europe. They're not going to be an easy team by any means. They're Norwegian champions for a reason. Um, so I'm expecting an exciting, open, and attacking game more than anything. And lastly, have you got a score prediction for the game on Thursday? Um, I'll be cheeky. Um, and, and I'll go for a 3-0 Celtic. I just think, I just think for all the factors I've just described, I just think when this when this Celtic team at full strength, when they hit their stride, I think they can be lethal. Um, and I would be excited to see them put on an attacking performance. And you know, I'm a believer, so I'll believe in a Celtic 3-0. Well, thank you very much for joining me, John. I appreciate your time. Not not a problem at all, mate. Last but not least, I am joined by Steve Wiss, a soccer and betting analyst who covers French League and the, as well as the Norwegian Elite Syrian. Steve is also the co-host of the Nordic Football Podcast. Steve, thanks very much for joining me. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me here. And uh, yeah, there's some exciting matches uh, coming up soon with uh, Celtic against uh, Buda Glimt. Yeah, so Buda Glimt are back-to-back champions of Norway. But they are the second most northerly team in the division, as well as having one of the lowest capacity stadiums in the league. How would you summarise their recent success and what is the reason behind it? The reason behind the success is because they have a very, very good manager in uh, Chetil Knudsen. Um, it's not just the manager. They've got a great sort of coaching staff up there, uh, fantastic infrastructure and a really good youth setup where they 
sort of promote uh, players from within. Uh, they start coaching them uh, very, you know, obviously young. The same tactic and style, almost sort of Barcelona, 4-3-3-esque, all the way through all the youth systems. Um, and, you know, it's like a conveyor belt of stuff, really well organised, good scouting network as well. You know, they brought in some players from from other parts of Norway and abroad. But, um, yeah, and, you know, the manager, Chetil Knudsen, has got them playing a, a great style of football in the last sort of three or four years now, I would say, since he took over. And, um, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect it. They're not a traditional power horse of Norway. They're not even the, even the traditional power horse in the north of Norway. That was historically always Tromso. So it's been quite a sudden rise. Um, uh, but at the moment, they look like, you know, a lot of people are saying a you know, one-off title, but they backed it up. Uh, they've gone successive titles now. So I think they're going to move from strength to strength. Norwegian football isn't the most exposed of leagues in Europe. Most people know of teams such as Rosenberg and Molde through the Champions League appearances. Bodo Glimt drew a lot of eyes after defeating Roma 6-1 in the Conference League law. How would you describe the standard of football that is played in the Norwegian league? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I always often get asked what is the best Scandinavian league. And realistically, we have to say it probably is the Danish Superliga. Norwegian Elite Serien and Swedish Asvenskan are pretty much level on par with each other. I think the coefficient ranking for both leagues is something like 22nd and 23rd in Europe, um, which is probably about fair, maybe, um, along those sort of lines anyway. A, a, a good sort of direct comparison might be championship football in England, sort of mid-table championship football in England in, in, in general. Um, so you, you're not talking really high levels here of, of football. Obviously, there's exception, you know, size like Budiglin, Mulder, yeah, there'd be more at the top end of that. But in general, yeah, I would probably compare it to sort of championship level in England. Yeah. And the Norwegian league is played through the summer months, meaning that Bodo Glimt are on a pre-season in preparation for the meeting with Celtic in the Conference League. How much of an impact do you think that will have, if at all? Yeah, it's a negative. It's historically, when sides in, in, in Scandinavia have made the knockout rounds, they're often very vulnerable early on. In the Molder actually managed last season to get past Hoffenheim over two legs in, in the Europa League. Um, but they rode their luck. I think there was like penalty saves and all sorts of stuff. Hoffenheim should have blown them out of the water in the first leg, for example. So, you know, in the past, I remember sides such as, I mean, Ossersons against Arsenal was one. Um, Molder also got knocked out at this stage before. It is difficult, you know. You can't replicate competitive matches. And the, most of the rest of Europe are in the middle of their, their league. So it's, a, it's definitely a negative, in my opinion, and often, and is the case with Glimt, that um, you know, transfers have, have been taking place. You know, it's like it's the equivalent of, you know, August of, 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 a, of a domestic league in the UK. Um, you know, it, it's difficult to judge sides. There's a lot, been a lot of ins and outs and, and just trying to get up to scratch. Just when you mentioned like the transfers and the ins and outs, is there much of a difference between the end of the season compared to now in the team? Yeah, there is. They've lost four key players. The, the, the two biggest losses, I would say, are left, have a left-back called Frederick andre Björkan and uh, a midfielder called Patrick Berg. They moved to, uh, to Berlin and um, Lons, respectively. Um, they also lost a striker, Eric Vortam, who was the top scorer last season, and, and another centre-back, Marius Lude, to Schalke. 
So uh, you know, it looks like they've, they've kind of brought players in to replace them, but we don't really know the effects yet. And it might take, you know, some time for these uh, new guys to uh, certainly be as strong. So, yeah, there has been plenty of ins and outs. Yeah, and just when you're mentioning the teams that these players are going to, they're obviously of a high calibre like to be going to teams in Germany and France. Um, is there any players that are still within that core that you'd maybe consider a threat for the game against Celtic? Yeah, I think you've got to um, you've got to look at Ulrich Sultan as the captain in midfield. He's a big, he's a strong workhorse. Um, I think you've got to look at uh, Ola Solbakken. Um, he can play on either wing, often as, as an inside forward. Um, he scored a very very good goal against Roma uh, in a, in, in the Olympico Stadium in Rome, which is well well uh, talked about. And um, yeah, those two players, I would say, are pretty important. And also, they've got a centre-back called uh, Breda Moo, who is uh, a strong player. So I would say that's your, your sort of core sort of uh, players. And, and someone who can make a difference in terms of his X-factor is uh, an attacker called Amal Pellegrino, who has got a bit of flair and a bit of class about him. Um, you know, he's got that the quality touch sometimes. Uh, uh, I would say those are the players to, to watch out for the most. Yeah, and lastly, have you got any score predictions for the game? Have you got any incentives on how it might go? Yeah, I think you've got to give Celtic the edge, actually. I think if this was played at the back end of last season, or sort of November, let's say, um, or, or December, then I would I would have definitely leaned towards Buda Glimp, but uh, Celtic seem to be in much better form now. You know, it's the first leg, they could be caught cold by Celtic if they're not careful. So I would say probably looking at Celtic to win the first leg by maybe a two-goal margin. It will be difficult for Celtic going up to the north of Norway. It's a difficult, difficult place to go. No one like it. You know, it could be minus up to minus 10 degrees up there, depending. Um, and I think, you know, Glimp's probably are more likely to get a result in that second leg, but they, the damage could be done at Celtic Park. So I think overall, in aggregate, I would say Celtic... Let's say Celtic 3-2 on aggregate. I really appreciate your time and effort for coming and joining me, Steve. Thanks very much. Not a problem, sure. Not a problem at all. Thanks very much. I would like to extend my thanks to all three of my guests, Declan, John and Steve, who gave me a great insight to the Europa Conference tie between Celtic and Bodeblin. Thanks very much for listening. This has been Talking the Turnstiles. <laughs>